you should just move close. You physically you, should I, move yeah. closer okay. to it. I, I physically, yeah, okay. Yeah. All For right. everyone listening, I made sure you guys are six feet apart. <laughs> yes. Good. Where's the tape measure? I want to see it. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C., Politics obviously taking a backseat for everyone uh, in this country as uh, the country confronts this global health pandemic. Uh, But that doesn't mean it's necessarily stopping. So it is Super Tuesday 3 in at least three of the four planned states. We'll get to that in a moment. There's nobody I'd rather sit and talk to about this moment in American uh, governance, in American society, uh, than my colleague David Axelrod. He's a CNN senior political commentator. He's also the host of his own podcast, a must-listen to, The Axe Files with David Axelrod. So please go check that out. I'm sure many of you already do. Uh, David, thank you so much for being here. Always good to be with you, brother. So I just wanted to start with you before we got into today's primaries. Um, you know, I don't get to talk to somebody every day on this podcast who actually sat in the seat of power mm-hmm. there and and was part of these conversations. And I just want to know... What is it like inside the White House when something like this presents itself and it just does it take over everything? And how does that seat of power adjust? I'm not asking for you to give me insight to today's yeah. White House, obviously, but just that notion of being there at at that centralized head of our federal government at a time of crisis. Yeah. Well, you know, we walked into the White House in 2009 in the midst of the deepest economic crisis since the Great Depression. We'll see where this one goes, but it it looks to be very, very serious. Here you have overlapping crises. You have a health, uh, a public health crisis that is, uh, you know, raging and, and we're still struggling to get it under control and maybe for some time. And a very, very serious global economic crisis uh, that uh, really is threatening people and businesses across the country. And, you know, I can tell you, we came to work every day for the first uh, months of that administration, um, heavy with the reality that the whole thing could collapse. I mean, we had Larry Summers was our chief economic uh, advisor, president, head of the NEC. Uh, He told us, look, there's a one in three chance of a second great depression. And Tim Geithner warned us that the banks could collapse that, that they were close to collapse. And, and you guys had months to prepare for that. I mean, you knew even at the end of the campaign in the fall of 2008 that should you win, this is what you were going to inherit. And I would imagine most of the transition before you even took the reins of power, it was that focused is true, on this. But that was also – people forget that was a fast-moving crisis and it got worse and worse. We met in mid-December in Chicago and I remember how sobering – the, uh, it was the first meeting with a full economic team, the president-elect, vice president-elect, and all of the senior aides. And the briefing was chilling. And we literally began planning the Recovery Act, the stimulus, in that room. And, and, and ideas started bouncing around about that uh, because it was very, very clear that um, this thing was bad and it was going to get a lot worse. And so – you know, you don't bargain for that when you start running. I mean, there was no hint of this in January of 2007 when Barack Obama announced for president. And um, and and so, yeah, it is, you know, because nothing's certain. I'm sure in the White House, you know, now the other thing I would say, David, is we were just entering office. Uh, the president's running for reelection now. So they have another set of concerns that they're uh, worried about. I would just caution them that the best politics in this moment is to handle this as professionally as possible. I think that that would do a world of good 
For I mean, instance, I've got to this believe is a case you just got to put the campaign on, like the campaign apparatus. Well, I think one of the problems thing, that happened right? here, and you don't want me to get into where we are now, but no, you, one I, of the please, problems that hap- that that one of the problems we have here is that for the first weeks of this, I think the president thought he could jawbone his way out of it, spin his way out of it, and so his approach was to minimize the threat. And the fact is that uh, if he had, from the beginning, emphasized how serious this was. Perhaps we would have gotten out of the gates faster, and that that is lo- a lost opportunity. He's clearly caught up with the story. So you now. do agree he has changed his. Footing. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. In the last 48 hours, from the time that he said that this was under tremendous control, and I think the reaction to that was so horrendous that, uh, you know, and 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 I think the reality of the the health reports coming in were so horrendous that he finally became persuaded that there was no way. So then let's go to what do you make of these last two days when you've seen him out in public? What do you what do you make of how he is now handling this, um, you know, you literally unique role in American life to uh, lead the country uh, at a time of crisis? I think it is uh, spotty. Um, I think that he spends too much time still kind of justifying what he's done before, uh, too much self-puffery, uh, too much self-congratulations for that, that are unwarranted. Just, you, you know, and he can't, this is Donald Trump, okay? So he's not going to stop that. I think the, you know, the best thing would be to really highlight and give a lot of uh, time uh, to the public health experts like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, who clearly know what they're doing and give people confidence, you know. But one of the things, David, and I'll just say this uh, uh, about about Trump, my concern is that because in those early weeks, he and his amen corner in the media over there at Fox News were telling people that this was all a media hype and that things were fine. As late as yesterday, we saw uh, uh, Devin Nunes uh, urging people to go to the bar. Uh, this has material impact on our ability to get a hold of this crisis. So I'm glad the president has made a turn in his rhetoric. Uh, I hope that we won't pay too big a price for the fact that it took so long. So, uh, again, just tapping your experience, I-, I think you were there in the White House during the H1N1. I was, yeah. yes. And I know that maybe not has was not presenting as serious. Uh, uh, Although we there was a fear that it could be. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm so. Take me inside that. Like, does everything else stop? Is no. It- and that's the thing that is important to recognize. You can't put everything else on hold. Remember, we had two wars raging yeah. at that very same time, and we were trying to figure out what the strategy moving forward should be. And every single day in the White House, things come up. And one of the things you have to be concerned about is uh, that there are adversaries around the world who sense that the country is uh, under siege and and may feel more adventurous. Uh, and so you have to pay attention to those threats. We lost uh, some men in Iraq uh, a few days ago. So you don't have the luxury of just doing one thing. And if you just do one thing, you're going to find other problems uh, crop up. But there, uh, you know, but what you, you know, what you, what I saw was a, uh, you know, full government effort a lot of meetings in the uh, in the in the Situation Room with from across the government, not just the health agencies, but all the agencies, uh, and uh, and you know it was what was helpful was the president himself, Obama, became interested when he was uh, in, in the Senate 
as soon as he got there, he'd read a piece in the New Yorker about the avian flu and how unprepared we were for it. And he started getting interested in how we deal with epidemics. And he actually passed some legislation that was useful to us uh, when uh, he became president. So his his interest and attention was really helpful uh, in that regard. But um, it was interesting to watch an intensive effort around that issue but not to the exclusion of other things. And what is it in the White House, David, when – I mean I get whiplash here at an, in a newsroom just seeing the latest headline that crosses yeah. on this thing. It's all consuming and every five minutes it's another development. Either it's an uptick in numbers or some new state or locality has issued some new – when you all would see that on your phones in the White House – is it difficult to sort of block that out in some way to remain focused on the solutions well, at hand, you know, or is it not difficult? Part, of, just part, a- of, part of the role of the White House is to be uh, – to play a coordinating role and understand where – what all that information is. You don't want to be watching TV to learn about these things. And you also, as best as possible, want to be a central repository of information. You want the local governments – to be uh, taking the lead because that's the way we're set up on a lot of this, but with the the help and guidance of the federal government. And so one of the important roles that uh, the federal government can play is to intake all this information and show the whole picture. And what we've seen here in the early going are a lot of players who are emerging, Governor Cuomo, uh, my own governor in Illinois, Pritzker and others, who are stepping up. But uh, you really want this to be a coordinated effort. It really needs that. And, uh, you know, again, I hope that we can catch up in this regard. Yeah. Uh, Let me turn our attention uh, briefly to today's primaries. Um, You were there the other night with me when uh, Anderson Cooper asked uh, Bernie Sanders about whether or not uh, primaries should indeed uh, go forward in this environment. Take a listen to what Senator Sanders said. Uh, That is a very good question. And as you know, Louisiana and Georgia and Puerto Rico have uh, uh, delayed their elections, postponed like a date for the future. I would hope that governors listen to the public health experts. And what they are saying is, you just indicated, we don't want uh, a gatherings of more than 50 people. And I'm, I'm thinking about some of the elderly people sitting behind the desks, registering people, doing all that stuff. Does that make a lot of sense? I'm not sure that it does. You know, Senator Sanders gave some notion here that this is fair to consider to pause on things. Mm-hmm. You now know that Governor DeWine has sort of went around a court <laughs> yeah, ruling yeah, in a certain way yeah. uh, using a, a, his uh, health expert in mm-hmm. Ohio as sort of a health emergency why they're not going to hold a primary today. Florida, Illinois, Arizona move forward. Uh, what is your take on this? Should we be? I mean, it's very difficult, David, because to me, I mean, I, there is nothing I hold more dear personally in this country than than our free and fair elections. That's the very core yeah, of the democracy. I hope so, that we are. given the job you have. <laughs> and and so I. You're not the health editor. I mean, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. But I but I do. I actually feel that really strongly. Yeah. And, as do I. And so uh, to see people have to make a choice about whether to go vote or it's whether a, to protect their health is concerning. Well, I mean, I think you know, I had a long. Uh, exchange with uh, Governor Pritzker in Illinois about this when I was asking him if he was going to move forward. And he said a couple of things. One is they had a very, very uh, healthy, and maybe that's not the right term under these circumstances, robust robust early vote, uh, you know, absentee vote. uh, and, uh, And he felt that the effect of that would be to spread out voting. And so uh, he um, – uh, and, and he felt like the turnout today would be such that 
uh, there wouldn't be large groups of people showing up. And from what I hear from at least Chicago, that has been the case. There hasn't been huge crowds at the polling place. We might see in Illinois for the first time a majority of the vote is early absentee yes. vote this time around. So, uh, but here's what he also said, and I think this is what the governors were grappling with. We honestly don't know when the all clear will come, and it's okay to move forward. And they had already had all this early voting, 45 days there, I think. Uh, And uh, what do you do? Do you then take those votes and add them to a vote that happens six months later? Um, Look, I think there's a bigger issue here, which is at the end of tonight, it's going to, it's very likely, we don't know the, that. Joe Biden may actually close to double his delegate lead because he's going to do very well in Florida, which is a huge state, also in the other two states. Uh, And it will be mathematically highly improbable, if not impossible, for Bernie Sanders to catch up. It may already be that, but it will be even more so. So how do you end this thing? Right. How do you land this plane? And when do you land this plane? I think this is a really complicated issue, and it may rest on Bernie Sanders' shoulders to decide – Knowing what he knows uh, about what his probability of being the nominee is, does he, for the good of the country and the Democratic Party, say, look, whenever the verdict comes, we now know what the verdict will be. And it's more important that we uh, come together. Did you get an indication from him on Sunday night at the debate that that's where his headspace was? I can't tell because I have to say that I thought that – Uh, The first punch was thrown by Biden when he raised Medicare for all. And I think the thing kind of spiraled uh, from there. Uh, But um, I do get the sense that Sanders knows where he is in this race. And his problem is how does he deal with his supporters who are urging him to fight on? And I think he's going to have to grapple with that. And for Tom Perez and the Democratic Party, this is a fundamental question that they're going to have to wrestle with. Because I don't know when – I know all these states are setting – Dates, but I don't know whether those dates are real, and they don't know it either because exactly. we don't know when this is going to end. So, from a technical point, you know, it, while you are right about what you're saying about Joe Biden uh, likely to significantly increase his delegate lead over Sanders tonight, uh, it is also true that as all these states postpone, uh, getting to 1991 may be uh, a thing that can't happen until right, the which is why which is why it would take. Sanders acknowledging that when all the votes are counted, that he almost certainly will get to 1991. And he, and what is seems clear is he would be the delegate leader, which Sanders has already said was enough. And hasn't even backed away from that in his current uh, standing. In I actually think Bernie Sa- I think Bernie Sanders is a, is a responsible person. I think he's wrestling with this in his own mind. He must be. But it, he also, well, yes, I would say he's a responsible person. He seems, of all the people I've covered in my life, one of the least susceptible to that pressure, whether from the establishment of the party or the media or like he doesn't seem. The one pressure he seems to feel is the pressure of Donald Trump and the need to beat Donald Trump. And I think he has bears uh, some of the scars from 2016 when he was blamed because some of his supporters walked away, even though he campaigned. I don't think he wants that onus on himself. And so I think that's part of his thinking. Yeah. As you said, it is. How do you land this in? Because I think if the returns tonight are as you described, and again, yeah, they may I, not be. Tonight is going to be this weird thing because <laughs> yeah. we have no idea who's showing up. Are right. old people staying home? Are young people showing up? Or, or did old people disproportionately vote by mail maybe? because of some of this? This is what I heard from folks in Florida that a lot of the older folks actually have voted already, and it's younger folks who are wrestling as to whether to show up at the poll. And there's 
proposed, I think, litigation already uh, in Florida about extending the deadline by which to receive these uh, absentee yeah. ballots, yeah. Uh, given our circumstances. But that's what I'm saying. We we have no I idea. I think, how by this... the way, that that these other states have the option of trying to switch to a mail-in kind of format. Yeah, and you know, I wonder. As this goes on, if it does indeed go on for months that we are a changed society, does this move the whole country towards a mail-in vote come November? I, you know, it, yeah. No, these are profound questions. Uh, you know, they're not primary questions. I mean, primary in importance uh, given the crisis, but they're primary to our democracy. Yeah, without a doubt. David Axelrod, CNN senior political commentator and, of course, the host of The Axe Files with David Axelrod. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Great to be with you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.